0: All right. Welcome back to episode 11 titled... Holly, I'm back here with K. Megan Washington and Abigail Johnson. Hi, guys. Hello. Alrighty. Well, before we get started, we have some more fan mail. We actually got a lot of fan mail. And uh, we (laughs) got... Well, fan
1: fan being a relative. Yeah.
0: (laughs) From how many episodes ago? (laughs) Yeah, we got a lot of comments. And I thought it was interesting because I was wondering, you know, why are we talking about this scene still? And Specifically, we're talking about the elevator scene with Serena and the mother and child. This might be over the length of any season one and season two the most comments and feedback i've got about any anything uh we have our first one from christine k she's like i just want to say that i'm super uncomfortable with serena being compared to a muslim and amish woman that's just not the same thing in my book i get what you're saying but the difference is that hopefully the amish woman or muslim woman is amish Muslim by choice. And yes, I know Serena is, but she helps conceptualize a system of oppression that takes choice away from women and enslaves them. She is also complicit in systematic rape. So it's not at all the same to me as a Muslim or Amish woman. It's much more akin to someone who runs a sex ring or a slave master. In that case, I would not teach my child to respect that person's profession. It is fully within my right not to do so. I would teach them to respect free persons, but not oppressors. I would not teach them to respect King Jong-un because he is a horrible dictator who throws people into concentration camps for no reason and thinks torturing people is fun. Similarly, Aaron F. says, Serena Joy cannot be compared to a Muslim woman in a burqa because she's very famous. The woman at the elevator knew exactly who she was and what she had done, not just what she believes. She should feel no safer around her than Hitler or Ted Bundy. She's a great danger to families in particular. She helped orchestrate a 9-11-style terrorist attack and overthrew her country. She is exactly the same as Fred and deserves no more or less sympathy than he does. Whitney G says i would have done exactly what that mom did she was not violent she said nothing cruel or rude but she took a stand it's true at this point she finds herself just as trapped as any other woman in gilead but she continues to support and uphold its existence she's not just any wife in gilead and it's appropriate that she answer for our actions in same way and finally we have eliza s saying how come the mother won't wouldn't be disgusted by Serena. She is literally a rapist and a murderer. How else would you expect a mother to react to a murderous uh, rapist? I was shocked by how you said that one day one may choose to live in Gilead. This is a prison where kids are held by force in homes separated from their parents.
2: Okay, okay. We have so much to talk about with just those, what, four comments. Mm -hmm. And I want to go ahead and start off by saying... That at no point in time were we, like, condoning what she does, what she stands for, but saying we were making comparisons, compar- comparisons for comparison's sake. You know, I'm not saying that she is exactly like an Amish woman or a woman in a burqa. Not at all. We were making Although, comparisons.
1: Going back to the first comment, most people who are either Amish or Muslim are not Amish or Muslim by choice. They were they born Amish into it. Are Muslim because they were born into it. Now, one might argue that they could leave um, but by leaving, they are separating themselves from everything and everyone they know, particularly with regard to the Amish, because you will be shunned, you will not have access to your family ever again, either your birth family or your marriage family. Right, so is that really a choice? Children, that's not really a choice. Um, I think the comparison had to do with the um. Had to do with the appearance factor,
2: right? So yeah. then, even if you look at her um, as who was it, Christine Kay, who mentioned um, a, a slave master or oh, running a sex ring, or thank you, someone like that, like those people, you will not recognize on the street. The, the no. point that we were making was that you would you recognize them. That was the why we drew the parallels that we did.
1: I think the point that we were making specifically had to do with the fact that. You do not know this person, and her being famous is relevant.
2: We don't actually know if she's actually that famous. Yeah, she's in the right. society, but is she well known? She, yeah, she had is that she one well book, known but outside of her, she did a small area. tour at universities. Like, how famous I would was she? Argue really, she's
0: more well known than maybe we probably think because i I don't know there's a lot there was a lot of media it was like a whole ordeal when you know she had incited that riot quote-unquote it's mentioned in the literature of the handmaid's tale it's mentioned a few times in the show and so this is the first time that they've shown something like that in um, one of the episodes so let's assume that she is
1: the point i think that was being made was you don't know this person You know of their culture. You know what you've been told of their culture. And this is a new religion slash culture. I am, you know, think about what was going on to Christians five years into Christianity. The Romans wanted to kill them all they were in fact killing them all they were stoning them they were tacking them up on crosses they were having them eaten by lions um this was not something that was accepted but 2000 years down the line it's the dominant religion so just because 5 years in this is what people think about this does not mean that this does not become something that is more accepted down the line. Yeah. Simply saying, um, oh, well, I would, I would never allow my child to choose to live there. If they're an adult, they can live where they want. Right. And I think that was sort of the general point. People make all sorts of decisions that I don't agree with.
2: But they still make them. But
1: they, I, I will stand up for their right to make them. Um, even if I disagree with them, even if I fight them over it, they still have the right to make that decision. And while I agree that there are people who live in Gilead who did not choose to live in Gilead, Serena did. (laughs) Not only did she choose to live there, she helped to design it. So to just sort of say, oh, well, you know, I know everything I need to know about you and I don't want my child contaminated by your air." seems problematic um now you know that was the entirety of my argument with regard to that in saying that yes we don't like this person and I really don't like her now but what (laughs) I'm saying is um we don't like her, we don't like what she stands for, fine. That's all fine and good. But if we're going to say, oh, yes, everybody should treat her like crap and spit on her and so on and so forth, then we are basically saying anybody whose religion or culture we don't agree with, it's okay
0: to treat them like crap. It's a slippery slope. And what I was thinking about today and going over these comments was that you know this is such a, a small scene mm-hmm. and it's it's so interesting it's and what impact. makes this a, such a great compelling argument actually is that you know this is very relevant you know not very many of us get to have these bold grand gestures when it comes to affecting you know the world at large and most of our lives everyday lives are in these moments Mm -hmm. these moments at the elevator and how you know is being a a person of color or other subjugated groups have these microaggressions uh, against them Every day, or very frequently, and it does roll up into this larger effect. And even just this week, there was a huge controversy with um, Maxine Walters So she was condoning, um, you know, harassment of people on the extreme right and these public figures, and that if you see them, you know, to sort of give them hell and things like that. And so this is exactly the situation: like, where is the line between civility and, you know, "quote unquote" taking a stand? Yeah, like it's a gray line. Where does
2: this gray line fall between? standing up for something you believe in and being an ass <laughs> because so in my opinion i would i would like to believe that if i were in the situation of that mother in that elevator scene that i mean i probably wouldn't have gotten on the elevator no but i wouldn't have acted the way that mother did i would have found a way out of the situation and walk away because i don't condone her you, as a public civilian, have the right to protest. You have the right to say what you believe in, and to say, "I don't like what you're doing." But to treat someone like a second-class citizen, and to, sh- you know, crap on the air they live in, you know, it's is just—it it feels way too similar to segregation. Well, well in the United and States. I think
1: maybe that's the difference. Is that, for example, the the one official. For Canada, who said, you know, my husband and I used to like to come down there and visit. And Fred said, well, maybe you'll come back at some point. And he said, yes, when we feel welcome. That's protest. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And
2: that was acceptable.
1: No, no, no. Do you you go on? And she said, no, you go ahead. You take it. And she said, no, no, you will. We'll wait here.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. It
1: is. Right. She could have just Thank gone you. ahead and taken her child and gotten in that elevator right. and Serena would have waited and taken the next one, which would have she been was very, making a statement. It would have been
2: yeah. very politically acceptable. That would have been, you know, she would have gotten the point. It would have been um, a protest of sorts and it would have gotten the point across. But the way that she handled the situation, we're arguing was out of line i just
0: sort of really love that we're still talking about this because yeah we have a whole
1: bunch of additional stuff to talk about but yeah
0: yeah and, and this just and happened be, the maxine walters and to be fair
1: you know i am a i am a huge fan of auntie max um that being said um i think she was way out of line you know people going out Going um about their daily business, you know, somebody's going to go get a haircut and all of a sudden somebody's in their face screaming about unacceptable you know, uh, you know, you you condone kidnapping children. Wait, 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 wait. I I'm getting my haircut. What
2: are you <laughs> Yeah, like you these I, people I have a
0: job and my job is, you know, to do whatever you
2: might have the right to protest,
0: but they also have a right to live their own lives. And someone uh, read a comment uh, about this issue and the woman expressed, you know, when I try to go into a Planned Parenthood and I'm getting screamed at that I'm a, you know, murderer and all these things and people are screaming at me and throwing things at me for trying to go into a Planned Parenthood. Well, and then one of these politicians shouldn't be able to enjoy his fucking salad once in a while. So that's something that somebody else put out there as well. I don't know. Well, I don't think
1: either of those things is is right.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: And simply because somebody else wants to
0: behave like an ass, that means that we should. Well, that's the paradox because that's the thing we say we don't we reject, and now we're being called to do in the name of our own cause, and that our own cause is greater and more absolute than the other. And then like it's just it's like a giant cycle. Exactly. This is my
1: this is my point. Right is not that. What the quote-unquote other side, and believe me, in this case, that is the other
2: side. (laughs) Serena
1: and Fred are on way the other side. If you guys
2: could see right now, her arms are like flailing around. That the other side
1: is right. Mm -hmm. It's that just because they behave in a specific way does not mean that it's okay that I do it.
0: I think I was reading something about, it's called, like, the tolerance paradox. At what point do Mm -hmm. you become so tolerant that, like, you can no longer be tolerant in order to be the most tolerant? It's a little bit more complicated than that, so Google it, Mm -hmm. but... That's very it, interesting. It's so we're gonna very move on. Complex, Moving yeah. along. Yeah, we're gonna move on to
1: because we have other a whole lot of stuff. To so
0: uh, really quickly, we had a comment from Leontine Foster. Hey, Leontine, thanks for so much for listening. She was a uh, guest host uh, on one of our previous oh, episodes yeah. in season season one. So good to hear from you. She commented last season that she would like to have um, more talk of diversity in season one with the cast, and so she was just echoing that we liked that we had brought it up. And Blair B. Uh, commented a great thing about Agnes Hannah. She says, hey ladies, just finished listening to the episode on the last ceremony and I wanted to add something interesting I found regarding Hannah's new name, Agnes. Mm -hmm. She says, in Catholic history, St. Agnes is the patron saint of young girls, chastity, and rape survivors. Yes, she is. Agnes was apparently a real young woman in the late 200s who was extremely pious and claimed to be betrothed to God, Ah. therefore refusing any attempts to woo or court her. She met her demise when she was 12 or 13 after refusing advance from the governor's son. He had her executed and she became a martyr and later entered sainthood. Whoa. I find it especially interesting that St. Agnes is close to Hannah in age. I wonder if Hannah will have a similar fate. I have chills. That is one of the best comments oh, well, or historical tidbits not. we've gotten.
1: Yes, um, but yeah, I, I should have thought of that. As <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, particularly no, that's really cool particularly since St. Agnes Hospital is right here in Baltimore. In, uh, in Baltimore. So
2: Well, okay, so she's about 10 years old right now, and if they follow what her name implies,
0: within about 2 to 3 years she'll hit her demise. Well, hopefully we never get there. Fingers crossed. <laughs> And uh, we had other comments from Mirage A and Don P about the whole Fred orchestrated at camp, but this episode sort of reveals something different. Right. And uh, Mirage also messaged me later this afternoon and was like, never mind, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but we always appreciate your comments. We appreciate the debate. You know, you guys challenging us and um, really sticking to your guns. So I appreciate them. You can always email us at thehandmaidspodcast.gmail.com or I find like that me on Facebook. I like that people are disagreeing
1: with us. Yeah, I I will say, um, Mirage, that um, I certainly wouldn't put such a thing past Fred.
2: True.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it was on a lot of our minds. We're like, yeah, that's mm-hmm. totally valid. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, you can always reach us at thehandmaidspodcast at gmail.com or find me on Facebook at the Handmaid's Podcast. And so episode 11, I, hmm, by the end of it, I was just, wow. There was a lot of bursts. That was... <laughs> I thought that was one of the more beautiful episodes of the entire series. Yeah, but there was, was so much really, birth. It was <laughs> really, striking. There was something about it to me that was just so mystical and magical and just like so, I had a lot, of, I wrote down a lot of adjectives like a, like a nerd, but anyway, so, we'll, so we'll get to it. I
2: mean, so, I get that though, because it's like a the miracle of life yeah. and they really tried to make it look like a mystical miracle of sorts.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Although, certainly one of the things I jotted down was WTF with the wolf.
0: Oh, yeah, I love the wolf. Okay, Also, so- I'm a big Game of Thrones person, so I was like, wolf, yes. I wonder
2: what kind of symbolism we're going to pull out of that when we, we get there.
0: Oh, I have it. You have it. Trust. Trust. Ho, ho, ho. So (laughs) we we open right where we picked off at the end of uh, episode 10. And Alfred is abandoned and she's not really knowing what to do. And she happens to see this, you know, garage. You know, it looks like a guest house, but I guess the very, very large garage to accompany this very, very large mansion (laughs) on this property. Mm -hmm. And she. Meets a wolf. She comes eyes to eyes, and I literally wrote down Game of Thrones. I literally wrote down Game of Thrones moment. That's what I came up for me. And so she has this a wonderful voiceover that sort of sets up this episode. You know, she says, "I'm sorry, there's so much pain in this story. I'm sorry it's in fragments, like a body caught in crossfire or pulled apart by force. But there's nothing I can do to change it. I've tried to put some of the good things in as well, and I like that because I think we've all three of us started talking about what's in the epilogue of yeah. The Handmaid's Tale that Margaret Atwood and, had mm-hmm. written. Yes, And it just, I feel like, you know, we really need to dig into that a little bit because it just, it, it starts to to this is one pull of those moments. in this storytelling thing. Like she's telling you the story. So
2: according to the epilogue, it says that there are cassette tapes. We're talking like back in the 80s, guys. Mm-hmm. Cassette tapes where the first like minute or so is a song just like to make you think that it's going to be a Real cassette. Mm -hmm. And then it's a voiceover. And there's about thirty ish cassettes. They're not in any particular order. Mm -hmm. And the stories are all jumbled and all over the place. And according to the epilogue, the people that found these cassettes did their best to put it in some semblance of an order. So sort of
1: like the Bible.
2: Right. So it kind of makes sense what she's saying is, you know, part of this. Part of this recording of whatever she's gone through and saying, you know what? I'm sorry that this is not in
0: order. But this is the way I got it. So yes. because this epilogue had been very present in our minds, I don't know if it really will tie everything into what we know about the epilogue. But, you know, they've used the source material very well and they've exhausted everything pretty much in the source material. Mm -hmm. So it stands to reason if they're going to draw anything from the information from the epilogue and sort of tie in the sort of storytelling aspect perspective that the epilogue suggests. But we will... Well, and it it also just
1: makes sense that the voiceover is some form of commentary and that this is all some kind of a flashback. Right. Right you know, that, that you we, we experience it as this is present day and her flashbacks are flashbacks. But I think it's more likely that all of this is some kind of a flashback and some of them are just further
0: back, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Um. And so... After she has the wolfy moment and this lovely voiceover, she goes back into the house and she's looking for something, and she happens upon this photograph of Agnes slash Hannah and her new mother. So yeah. that
1: is her house.
0: That it is. was her house. Was. was so I guess this is their lived. their mm-hmm. summer home. Well, Fred did
2: say that they were. Moving, and that's why he was okay with it because she wouldn't know where
0: gotcha. she would be.
2: Mm-hmm. I
0: had a thought maybe that this was sort of like their lake house, like this is there in the w- out in the country, right? In house. the country, and then mm-hmm. so now that it's snowing, they, they no, but, are someplace else. Yeah, so it could I mean, be that makes sense because the
1: house is closed down, it's not, it doesn't look like they've moved because there's still
0: food in the, the, picture, the pantry, they, she and she would wouldn't leave the picture and, yeah. yeah,
1: so it's it's more likely, yes, that this is a a secondary, secondary home of, home of some sort. Yes,
0: and then she happens also upon a drawing that we assume is Hannah's, and I couldn't particularly tell what those three figures are. I wrote down, Handmaid Guardian Martha question mark, Handmaid Commander, uh, wife question mark. It also could have been Hannah Commander wife question mark. <laughs>
2: I had to tell. I
0: couldn't really tell. I don't know what it was. To I be thought honest. that there was the red figure. That it, there was definitely a handmaid in that, which drawing. made me think that it could be her mom. Or, but she might have been like pink, like because Hannah's in pink. I guess the children are in pink. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: hard to tell. But if it I was think red, the, I it, think the larger issue was that it was meant to be a trigger to her thinking back. Yes. To. When Hannah was that was, you know, around the age of, you know, to make a picture like that, because that was clearly a picture that had been made a while ago. Nine year olds do not draw like that. Yeah,
2: no, no, no. True. Very, very, (laughs) very true. That must have been when she was like six, Mm
0: -hmm. which would have been, God, like a year within a year after. Mm -hmm. being taken right and the first flashback the first flashback that we get is June sending Hannah off to school and it's just such this painful moment which I'm sure lots of mothers and fathers (laughs) out there experience and uh, witness I know my oldest sister she's got Four kids,
2: two boys and two girls. Did they? And yeah, there were days when they were crying. There were some tears. It was very sad, and she would be sad too. Like, I love you. I don't want you to go, but it's school.
0: (laughs) 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 So this is a very, you know, identifiable moment for a lot of people. And so we come back to current timeline, and she finds the keys to the car, which was like, oh, that's what she's looking for. Mm -hmm. She gets into the garage, and she reveals this OG muscle car oh my really god it was beautiful car. so we get this og muscle car she gets and she starts it and it starts
2: mm-hmm. which blew and... me away I,
0: I was thinking you know <laughs> if they haven't you know used it
2: since gilead formed then <laughs> they stop <not> turning on <laughs> yeah you don't see a lot of muscle cars
0: running around on the uh, streets of gilead there so it kind of surprised me when it did turn on and we get to the radio. Oh my what did god! What I just say? <laughs> I was losing my shit! <laughs> I was having a canismat, and if you don't know what a canismat is, it's a technical term for losing your shit. Mm-hmm. And I was rocking back and forth at my house <laughs> watching this and going, yes, this is so good, this is so good. Okay. It's a radio! And There's people out there! And it's
2: fully established that Anchorage, Alaska is the new base for the United States.
0: Yeah, the American government. So I feel like a dum-dum, because I thought Anchorage was part of Gilead, which was why I was so confused. Kay was emailing me about this I, throughout the last couple of weeks, and I was like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Um, Anchorage you yeah, And I just well, love... Anchorage is on the other side of, of Canada, of Canada, yeah. so it makes sense. It does make sense. Very strategic, love that. And so it's called Radio Free America from mm-hmm. somewhere in the great white north. And they start talking about policy. They oh do. my god. So they're telling people the news, and so the, the UK, radio person says that the, the promises of, there are promises of aid from India and China to the American government. Which is interesting that it would be India and China. Um,
2: India and China, historically, they, they do business with the United States, but they don't typically help us. We're normally the one helping them. For it to switch sides is very interesting, and I'm curious if that shows us where the U.N. is sitting in all of this, where the U.N.'s hand is playing a part of making more actors of the world
0: really help out in one of these d'etats uh, that have occurred. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, this could arguably be the first time, maybe, that other countries have had to put an aid into the United States. Cause yeah, usually... they're not normally
1: in a, in a position to require help.
0: Exactly. Right, and so there, there is a,
2: one council in the U.N. called the... Uh, Security Council. There are fifteen members, and five are permanent. One of them is the United States. One is the UK. One is Russia. But, anyways, the US is a permanent member, and the UK is a permanent member. So, for the UK to be putting on sanctions on Gilead is showing support for their other council member.
0: Absolutely, and you know, it also mentions that the UK is raising the cap of American refugees it's accepting into the country from Canada. Fantastic and i
1: they have to get there first.
2: Yeah. Well, if they're in Canada, they can be sent over quite right. easily.
1: Right. From Canada, but you have to get in Canada. Cuz in Canada, first. we do right. have
2: our little America. It's like an American ghetto if you will. Mm-hmm. Um i i say that term in a respectful historical manner. Um,
1: Jewish ghetto, not run down part of town ghetto.
2: Right. 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 That's what i meant. Mm-hmm. Um so uh, to to look at the the international policy at play right now is to understand that Gilead is not accepted as a sovereign nation yet. Gilead is seen as an occupying force of the United States. Uh, with, uh, I think it's technically it's not military occupied because if it's occupied, then you have to be in active war. While mm-hmm. there are some battles out in uh, Syracuse, Chicago, and a few other places, um, it's not established that we are in full-on war. So I don't know if we're being militarily occupied by Gilead or if Gilead has essentially established itself, um, which is illegal by international law.
0: Well, you had also mentioned something in uh, some of your emails about annexation, because that's what it feels mm-hmm. like the most to me. Right. That's the word. If it, the word. If it were up to Gilead, they would have taken over if it's, the whole of North America and the whole of America. But if it isn't annexation, they that, accomplish is that
2: illegal by international law. In which case, all UN nations outside of them would have to put sanctions on them, would have to restrict trade, would have to, you know, condemn what they are doing.
0: I'm not up on my current events in Eastern Europe, so does was the annexation, quote-unquote, of Crimea officially called an annexation? Because... I mean, there wasn't any really harsh repercussions for Russia in that term.
2: I don't believe it was officially called an annexation. I believe technically they called it a military occupation, which is legal.
0: And then Crimea decided
2: to on, become its own, it, on its own. On its
1: own. Quote, unquote, on its own. To become its Voluntarily, own, yes. she says, unquote, doing air quotes, um, rejoined
2: right. Russia. So that is a loophole. That I was about to say. Of <laughs> sorts. <Mr>. <laughs> but that, what technically, the way they went about it is what allowed it to be legal by international law.
0: And, yeah, Gilead, then Russia avoided the UN coming down on their asses as where, hard as the UN could have.
2: Whereas, the, whereas Gilead is technically against the law if it is an annexation, which I believe it is. With the way that they've set up government and changed laws, it feels
0: like an annexation. Well, in... We know from the source text that there is some military conflict. It
1: it was just so weird to actually hear radio.
0: Yes. And I was like, oh my gosh,
1: there's there's radio and and they're playing, you know, 70s and 80s music. It makes me happy though
2: to hear. Somewhere
1: there is always 70s and 80s. Always.
0: (laughs) Even in Gilead there is Bruce Springsteen even in Gilead. I love this little sign off though, you know, reminding everyone who's listening, American patriot or Gilead traitor, we're still here. Stars and Stripes forever, baby. Mm. I just love that attitude of that like pirate radio, Mm -hmm. very you know underground. So I love that tidbit. That was a really nice surprise that I loved. And you can see that
2: June really liked it too. It made her happy. Gave her some faith to keep going. Mm -hmm.
0: Absolutely. And you know she says, "Fuck it." She goes back inside and she starts to put together a go bag slash survival kit. And she gets back into the car and she realizes she's still wearing her red robes. And obviously that will be a giant red flag, so to speak, <laughs> anyone that sees her. And so she goes back in and she finds a coat. And she sort of has this moment where she's like, I think this is the first time she's really looked at herself in the mirror. Yeah, with th- the I noticed that. Um, that. There's no mirror. There's no mirror for her. So this
2: is the first time she's
0: actually seen her reflection in probably, what, three, four, four years now and with the baby bump it triggers this flashback memory getting ready for a party with luke and she has a little baby bump and she's looking fly and Luke mm-hmm. is looking good mm-hmm. and they're just having this like little sweet moment you know this little cute. cute thing and so while she's reminiscing a car arrives and we're thinking, oh, it's probably Guardians. But no, Fred and Serena the get out. The first person who comes out is Serena, and she is hauling ass. <laughs> oh, God. I've, I've
1: that never was seen anybody a- run through snow and heels quite that fast. She was a woman on a mission. On a mission.
0: Huh? So we find out that this house actually belongs to a commander named Commander Mackenzie. So now we know Agnes' full name, Agnes Mackenzie. Mm-hmm. And... Serena is just raging and trying to find oh my gosh. and finds June's handmade, I guess, overcoat thing. And, you know, they were here. What are you talking about? And so they're sort of going back and forth because I think the way that maybe Fred had told her what happened was super vague. And so he's not, Fred yeah. is not sure what happened. He
2: made it sound like, as if he was like, they might be here. They might have left.
0: I don't know where they could be. So we get to this point where... We figure out, okay, Fred didn't set this up because in the next few lines, you know, he truly believes. He was like, But Nick is so loyal. Yeah. And I let Alfred see her daughter. I mean, she should be grateful. Like, and you're like, like He oh, fully believed that. And then you, Serena, uh, Serena made me laugh in that moment. She was like, Really? You thought she'd be grateful? You
2: thought she would just sit in your lap after you raped her and then let her go see her daughter. What?
1: (laughs) Sent her with the father of her child Mm -hmm. to see her daughter. Mm -hmm. Kills me. I mean, let's just throw all those cards right on the table there, boy.
0: Full house. Throughout this whole scene when they're going at it with each other, it was another one of those times where I was rocking back and forth. I was like, yes, this is so good. Oh my God. Yes. 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 Um, (laughs) No, their interactions were amazing. (laughs) This is where I feel like this is like a really nasty husband wife fight. The kind of fight that happens when you are I mean you've never seen them unleash at, at each other quite like this no. because the other times I feel when Serena has gone after Fred and sort of let him have it, Fred has been more composed. And every time Fred has sort of gone after Serena, Serena's been a little. This is right, like totally balanced each other out. Just totally raw, laying it all out there. You, we've never seen Serena. And this Serena's so... running around screaming like they're one of the ah. Oh, Fred's like took me aback, and I definitely jumped a little bit. Fred also has this moment where he really lets go and. You know, Serena says, well, they're going to put us up on the wall. And Fred goes, oh maybe God. they'll put us side by side. Just my fucking luck. Yeah. We're like, what the hell? Like, the- Fred has not spoken yes. like this uh-huh. in a really long time. If well, maybe, you never. Know, what
1: came to me? Because I was, I was sort of mortified for them, honestly. I was like, oh, my Lord. Like I out. realized, you know what it, it sort of reminded me of is what... <laughs> If they were ever somewhere where there was nobody around, what a fight between Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip might sound (laughs) like. These are people who are constantly... (laughs) Not under surveillance, but there are always people around them. There are guardians. There are eyes. There are Marthas. There are handmaids. There are other commanders. There are other commanders' wives. There are reporters. There's all of these people around them, aunts, all the time. They are never... Truly Alone. private. Even when they're in their bedroom, there are people around them in the house. They are in a big empty house in the middle of nowhere. And before that they were in a car by themselves Ooh. that he was driving. Mm. When's the last time he drove a car? Oh, right. God. So, you know, when's the last time they were really by themselves? So they've had three hours or however long out here in this snowstorm in the car by themselves to get riled up. And now they are alone in this big empty house in the middle of nowhere. Of course, they're screaming at each other.
0: (laughs) There's no one around. This is the the this is the greatest uh, honesty we've gotten from both of them. It was epic. With each other in probably... Ever. and it was yeah it was really truly epic it was really truly epic and june meanwhile has snuck up to the attic and has found the chest of guns yes
1: because of course chest of
0: guns <laughs> there's chest of guns why right? not and she is in the perfect position and she's taking aim and at this point i'm like oh i was ready i was like you got your shot it's right there God. you can get
2: two with the one pull you got this I was cheering her on, and then she started shaking, and that's when I thought, nope,
0: she can't. I thought that was such an interesting moment, because it would have been so easy. It would have been perfect. And I thought a lot about why why the writers, you know, or this character wouldn't have done it. And I think it so weirdly goes back to this, like, big circle thing we've been talking about, about how we treat each other. It would have been so easy for her to just take them out. I don't think I And it perpetuates understand. this cycle. And then she just becomes exactly the murderers that they are. You know, of but her she, Okay, oppressors. but see,
2: no. In that, in that one moment, if she had shot them, she could have, you know, killed them right then and there. She had enough ammo. Um, grabbed the keys and driven. Driven anywhere she needed to. I
0: think it was that internal moral thing. And I think you know you know what that's a piece of shit
2: for an excuse. I'm sorry. But that, if that's the reason that she didn't do it, that is the crappiest thing. Because now she's stuck.
0: I mean, you were the one advocating that the woman at the elevator shouldn't have treated Serena like crap. And now you're advocating for June to kill her. Well, yeah.
2: June's been raped by her.
0: <laughs> the woman at the elevator was not.
1: Didn't know her. <laughs>
2: <laughs> There's a difference between these two characters. I'm just divine,
1: saying. Divine the- retribution. Point being.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I feel that's going to be a contentious moment for people, whether they agree with June's
2: decision or not. Yeah. I, cause I don't don't know that it
1: was necessarily about, I don't know why she didn't. I
2: don't know either. You know, she might be in Gilead. She might be raped on a regular schedule and she might be the lowest common denominator of that new society. She might hate, she hates her life. She's not doing all right. Her life is going up in shambles and the fires around her. Like there's no bright glimmer in her life right now. Mhm. But to not to, to take that gun, to take aim and then to pull the trigger, it takes a very special person to willingly kill another human being. Mhm.
0: I also had a thought that if Emily was in that situation, she would have taken the shot.
1: Oh, Emily would yeah, have killed her. Yeah, cuz Emily's lost her marbles. Dead.
0: She so... has no cares. Right. And we can see like the two different places that these two women are in and why one woman would have made it very easily made that choice and why June it, in her, as her character didn't make that choice. I mean, it is a very but again, it's, difficult it's moment to kill a person like, you know, there's
2: there's metaphors and uh, stories out there that say, you know, if you every time you kill a person, you lose a piece of your soul or a piece of your heart mm-hmm. and it tears you apart slowly piece by piece. Like some people th- you truly make a horcrux. That. Yeah, like like a horcrux. Um, It it takes a very certain kind of person to willingly kill another human being. And in the military, um, actually, a lot of militaries around the world, what they do is they desensitize uh, um, their soldiers, train them, train them, train them to the point that it becomes a job. It becomes a routine. It becomes normal. They've been desensitized to the concept of killing another human being in in combat.
1: And you depersonalize the enemy.
2: Exactly. Whereas in this moment...
1: They're not actually people. These are people
2: that she knows. She knows Serena intimately. Mm -hmm. They, you know, have had their moments. They've gone in and out of liking each other. These are people. She knows the enemy. It's different. To be able to kill someone you know that intimately, that takes a sociopath
0: and she is not that. Yeah, I totally agree. And I just thought that that was such an interesting moment. That Janine would have taken
1: the shot too.
0: I don't really know about Janine, because so? she'd
1: She wouldn't have missed him because she only has the one eye. But <laughs> if, I think she could argue the shot.
0: that if if i don't think Naomi Putnam to get Naomi Putnam out of the way so that she oh that's what i mean yeah 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 yeah. i think i would agree with you there emily would emily
1: would have just shot him for the sake of shooting because she could yeah yeah um janine
2: would have done it to get to her daughter yeah right i think if hannah were in the room and hannah were right there for her to grab she would have done it possibly
0: uh, what also came up for me is that you know Gilead and Fred and Serena have done a spectacular job of taking all these pieces of her you know piece by piece by mm-hmm. piece, and, you know almost to the point where you know we're to Serena Serena is a wife and she has power and privilege and, and they 've taken Gilead has taken so much of her that she feels that she has nothing left, so you imagine Alfred or handmaid of her position. And I feel that if, personally, that if June had taken the shot, then she would have been willingly given up a piece of herself to oh Gilead. And I think that's something that deep down she knows that would be like an irreversible, you know, damage to... To her soul. Yeah. To her psyche. So Serena and Fred leave. Well, I mean, and
2: even when they're there, like Serena says, you know, I gave up everything Yeah, with the promise of one thing, one thing, and that would be my child. Yeah. She asked for one thing in her life. You always say that Serena doesn't everything. have anything. She and, doesn't, and I've she told She does. And she claims it too. Mm.
0: I also had a, a selfish thought that I was like, oh, don't shoot Serena. That means we won't get Yvonne Strahovsky for season three.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, your buddy Max is already in somebody's trunk. Oh. so.
0: I hope Maxie survives.
1: The, uh, well, we don't know. I what don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. But yeah, they, they go ahead and they, they get ready and, and head out because um, okay, they were here. They can't have gotten, but so far. They think they
2: left, so let's go find them.
1: Let's go find them or at least go report.
2: No, they can't report they, it. Like
1: they can't report it because they'll they'll, be they will be, 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 be dying.
0: They will they, which die. Also,
1: they will be dead.
2: <laughs>
0: <clears throat> which also makes me question who's really at the top of the chain or if their collective sort of brotherhood thing is much stronger than the individual. Because if we assume that Fred is at the top, then he wouldn't need to worry. Yeah, so I, I guess I he's not think it's it's at the, the top.
1: the collective Yeah, thing. I get the impression it's like that the it's oligarchy.
0: Yeah, that, that seems appropriate. A totalitarian yeah. oligarchy. Yeah, that mm-hmm. seems more appropriate for sure. It's, Versus a
2: singular dictatorship. Yeah.
1: yeah, it's like, you know, with with the with the LDS church, you can be very far up in the, you know, in the hierarchy. But if your family does something that's against the rules, the rest of them are coming down on you Mm and they're not going to kill you, Mm -hmm. but they, they will put you out. Yeah. And so, um, I, I think it's, it's more about the fact that, Even regardless of how high up you are in things, bad things can still happen to you as long as the rest of the commanders remain intact.
2: Right, because I I get the feeling that there is some sort of a checks and balances between, you know, different rankings. Mm -hmm. You know, like, the president might be of the United States, I mean, originally. The president, you know, is considered to be on the top, but in reality, you know, you've got the entire legislature to make sure that he stays in line. According to law, theoretically, this is—I know—I'm—I'm working off of constitution. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um. And in Gilead, yes, the constitution has been suspended indefinitely. But I get the feeling from the way that it's organized that there are, you know, everyone's accountable to someone else, one way or another. Mm -hmm. I do believe that it's a set of men at the very top pulling everyone's Mm -hmm. uh,
0: strings—an
2: oligarchy of sorts.
0: But it's not one single person. No, I don't. I don't think it is. It just seemed, I think, especially in season one, Commander Price was particularly forceful and was given such a highlight that it might seem like he was maybe the most influential out of all of them. Mm -hmm. Um, And he he especially had, yeah, especially the very top few. And then uh, I forget where she was in the scene where she starts to have a contraction. Was she outside or inside? But anyway, she has a contraction. Her and first one was, at, she was at a car. At a, mm-hmm. a car. And and so I we believe that she's going to be going into labor, which triggers this flashback we get of June's mother in this birthing center, which, first of all, I'm so happy we have the return of June's mother, because I feel like in episode three, the one that we all hated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The relationship with the mother was very compelling, but I just feel like, you know, there's so much more there. It's a relationship with, their, uh, with her mother. Right. Mm-hmm. You can't neatly package it in just one little From episode. From that one episode right. that
2: we didn't like, we decided that we didn't like Holly because of the way that she was treating June. Right. The way that she was putting her into this box and putting pretty little bow on it, and I just want to say fuck you to her. Yeah. And like, <laughs> you know, she, she had those looks in her eyes too, like, fuck you, mom, like you're being a bitch. But to, to have this other episode and watch a completely different side of her was really humanizing.
0: Very much so. I do like her a lot better in this episode. Yes. You get a and lot I more love facets. me some Cherry Jones. So. Yes, absolutely. I love me some Cherry Jones. She's in this birthing center, so her mother's, you know, so that's we gather. I've seen a birthing center before. Yeah, like very it was crunchy kind of cool. granola, really? her mother. Yeah, I've never seen one before. Like, I.
1: I guess you're young enough that you don't have a whole bunch of friends that have no, like, dragged I mean, you through those No, places. I have
2: not. But um, <clears throat> I do have three older sisters that have all had a bunch of kids mm-hmm. and they've all done it in a hospital. And so I was, I mean, I'm familiar with the concept of someone coming to your home, like a a midwife,
0: mm-hmm. and I'm the familiar door. with, you
2: know, the bathtubs and I mean, I've heard of enough different things, but I've never actually seen a birthing center. Yeah.
0: And so we gather that June's mother, you know, is a obstetrician, you know, pediatrician, all that right. sort of stuff. And so they're having this argument, like natural versus hospital, and I, and it's really funny. Yeah, I mean, it's so funny. A majority of people a doctor do say go things. to the hospital. There's pros and cons. You can do it at home or other methods. There's pros and cons. You know, whatever works. Right, there's for pros you. and cons to everything. And the. Most important thing about this scene is not so much whether she's gonna go to the hospital or not, but you know, her mother's talking about being there, and June very point blankly says, "Don't make promises you can't keep, mom." And I was like, "Ooh, dang, that was like- that was rough." <laughs> and Moira in the background, she's like, "Yeah, my friend gave birth in the woods." <laughs> Just like, awkwardly, like so
1: uncomfortable. I think it was sort of reminding them that she was there, you know,
0: guys, can you not? And so we get back to the garage and the door won't open and she tries to drive through, which, if you're trying to be discreet, you know, burning out okay, the tires there's of this no car. One around them for miles. Yeah. But and
2: you. I don't care how easy that looks
1: in the movies. It is not. Garage doors are very busted. specifically set up for you not to be able to drive through them.
2: <laughs> Mythbusters. She was trying so hard, though. <laughs> she she God, really was
1: there's a V eight in that car? So if she was gonna be able to do it, it was geez, gonna be that. Was gonna be cat, but nope
0: and then also it's snowing so she goes out and she's trying to like dig and she slips on the snow and we're it like it's oh, her shit. head god that was a hard fall too you could hear her head and she figures out that her water breaks yeah. which is mm-hmm. okay the baby's coming there's after what i mean there's no there's no stopping there's, no stopping, there's no, it, no stopping it but it, it doesn't mean it's gonna come
2: right then and there you've still got some time
0: then she has a second moment with the wolf and
2: okay <laughs> so my thought here when i saw the wolf for the second time was I don't understand why it's a lone.
0: Why is it a lone wolf? They're a pack are animals.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Not,
0: necessarily. Not
1: necessarily. Sometimes
0: they are, but most of the time they're sort of out and out doing I their I associate own thing. them with packs. I've just, I don't uh, know, I guess So I'm I had to Google it because, I mean, once, once you're like, okay, that's sort of a freak accident and that's just kind of a cool shot for her to come eye to eye with a wolf. The second time it happens, you're like, this it's, has a purpose. It's like it's just mm-hmm. checking her out. So I research wolf symbolism and uh, lots of things, but mainly uh, guardianship, ritual, loyalty, and spirit. And a lot of things about listening to your instincts and intuition. And wolves also have the appetite, symbolize the appetite for freedom. And they also symbolize this like feeling of being threatened. And they also symbolize lack of trust in someone or yourself. Well, all of that fits. And they eat yeah. little girls. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, they do. Wait, what? <laughs> we love our Sondheim guys. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> what is happening
1: Sorry, now? Into, oh, the, into woods the Woods deal here, folks. Oh,
2: Into the Woods reference? Yes. Uh,
1: okay. Little Red Riding Hood. I missed that. That's that my bad. Um, she's out there in a red...
2: Oh man, that! The oh, wolf. the connection was right in front of me. God, that was sad. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so disappointed in myself right now. Um, <laughs> no worries, no yeah, because
1: that was my first thought was. Mm, Little red riding. You better go inside yeah. and have that. Well, that and also you better go inside oh, and have no, that baby. That. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> that was. was Did that you no just now get that? <laughs> I got the the, the of the woods reference, but I was like, "Oh no, she means into the." Little okay, never mind. No riding Hood. Riding hood. Do, 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 do. So
1: okay. <laughs> point being,
2: wolves, there's lots of symbolism. Um,
1: so are we thinking maybe the wolf's her
0: mom? Ooh, ooh, I like that. Could be a girl wolf. Could be a girl wolf. I do thought it was interesting when it was Black Wolf because I was like, it was a white wolf. I was just like, no, everyone's going to just think Game of Thrones. But anyway. Or
1: or Dances with
2: Wolves. Or Dances
0: with Wolves. Dances with Wolves is actually one of the things that caught my... So I like this phrase that I had come up in my research, you know, listening to your instincts and intuition and also, I mean, the appetite for freedom is like a given, like we get that. And then the feeling of being threatened, obviously, and this lack of trust in someone or yourself, I thought definitely with her mother. So I do like that idea, this sort of like spirit of her mother. Cause when we go to a flashback and um, June is in labor labor yeah. labor at the hospital and luke and moira are there assisting quote unquote <laughs> and she's asking moira if her mother has called her back if her mother is coming so obviously it's important to june that her mother be there i mean I'm you know moira. for most people it would she's like, uh, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> i love moira's awkward episodes are the best <laughs> so it's obviously very well, important this before to
1: her. moira had her own kids so i think She's just she was not
2: out. in her
0: territory.
1: It's like, yeah. uh, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? <laughs> I'm going to go make phone calls. <laughs> um, oh, man. Yeah. So um, speaking as someone, this is a real quick aside here. Um, <laughs> let me point out that it is, there is a big difference between um, watching a live birth on like a baby story on TLC. And seeing one in person. Um, I was in the room when my youngest goddaughter was born. And, you know, in the, on the shows and things that you see, the baby's head comes out. You know how on most shows that you see, the baby's head comes out and then the rest of the baby follows pretty yeah. much right afterwards? That is not how that goes. <laughs> um, my goddaughter's head came out. And she looked around like, oh, my God, that's creepy. Hey, everybody, what's up? Oh, my God. Hang on. The rest of me will be out in a second. And then, And I was like, Oh, my God. Completely flipped out. So I, I have that video somewhere at home of her little head popping out. And she's literally looking around at everybody like, hey, what's up? And I'm like, mm-mm. No. Wow. No, no. That's so. So unsettling. I could I could definitely get behind Moira as somebody yeah. <laughs> who
0: just freaked you know out. has
1: not, you know, given birth and it's all of a sudden you're in the room with, you know, fluids and smells and you know, just mm. Anyway.
0: Birth. wow, So that birth. is a great story. I didn't get to be in the room when my sister, because uh before I made it to my car, my mom called me back, she was like, She's done! I was like, God <laughs> damn it. That's funny. <laughs> Only we were all that lucky, right? <laughs> anyway, so oh well. So. We get back. She's in labor, and there's lots of blood, and we're very concerned. Yeah, no, I was definitely concerned. I was concerned. thinking
1: placental abruption. Mm-hmm. There's not supposed to be that level of blood. Yeah, I didn't think in so. a normal birth.
0: And she has had previous bleeding with this pregnancy already, right. so mm-hmm. we knew that this was already a very
2: uh, high risk pregnancy. I was concerned, genuinely, for like her life in these moments. Well, So
1: Absolutely. was she? Thus, the gun. Yeah, I, I I think we were all concerned, but, but clearly so was she, thus the gun. So. I think
0: Four that's shots. something that a lot of people take for granted is that, you know, you're always concerned about like the child, the baby, the health of the baby, the da-da-da-da-da. But I mean... there's
2: die in childbirth too, yeah. Absolutely,
0: still today. And so for her own safety and sake, she's come to this decision. You know, she's talking to her soon-to-be-born child. You know, I know I promised you. It's going to be okay. And so for her, the most responsible thing to do for her child and for herself is to get help. I mean, obviously, this is not an ideal situation. And if she could have gotten away, she would have. But the circumstances are what they are. So is she going to, like, die here alone? You know, if something is truly wrong? Or is she going to get help? And so it becomes another one of those, like, internal, like sacrifices like i'm gonna stay in this regime for the sake of both of our lives because it doesn't do any 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 of us good if we're both dead
2: which is what would have happened probably if she hadn't shot the guns off
0: and what i find interesting is everything comes in threes right yes comes Mm -hmm. in threes so she's having the moment the third time with uh wolfie number three and she's firing the gun right and she's made this resolve Mm -hmm. and then once she's done it the wolf goes away I was mm-hmm. probably scared off, but the... Scared mind-wise. off. And symbolism-wise, like this, okay, this is what I was guiding you towards to get help, and now you've now accomplished it. Now you've done it, it and, and so... So I yeah. can move on. So I thought that was really beautiful. I like that. Yeah. And, and so...
2: I like the whole concept that this wolf might actually be the spirit of Polly, and then she after Polly, the wolf, runs away, yeah. she names her daughter Polly.
0: I do love that. I didn't see that coming. And I was like I didn't
2: oh, either.
0: Oh, it's really <laughs> emotional. It was so sweet. Can I just say, I mean, I've personally, you know, never given birth. I've never been to a live birth. But I always feel like there there is a romanticized, what exactly what mm-hmm. Kay says, this romanticized televised movie thing about birth. Even though you know you hear the screaming and the sweating and da-da-da. There. Elizabeth Moss, girl. Mm. If- that was not romanticized like one little bit. Personally, give you an Emmy, I would. I. This was one of the most gorgeous performances I've ever really seen an actress do in my entire life. I, I will give you that. Despite
1: I, the snot and the drool and no, the tears, no, because the, of I, know, all. That, yeah, I know, yeah, yeah,
0: it's just <clears> there was, was so raw yes i also wrote down beauty ugly i yeah i wrote that down we had some ugly cries and it was Mm -hmm. raw and beautiful for what it was and she's having all these um memories these flashbacks and we get that you know that, if, that saying, that idiom, you know, it, it takes a village to raise a child, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it takes a village to, <laughs> to have <laughs> a one. baby, uh, you know, to birth a yourself. child. Mm-hmm. And so it was a lot of con- stark contrast between her first joyous time of having Hannah with luke and moira there but then there
2: were there was also a comparison of uh, janine right and where they're all
0: there they're all telling her to breathe and like all things considered you know they have this community of women just like chanting for you it's very rhythmic for it at the red
1: center and yeah
0: and in stark contrast to where she is totally and completely alone
1: and naked
0: and naked she got nothing And there was this whole thing, too, in in one of the scenes previous where she was like, I don't think I can do this. She's surrounded by, you know, a hospital and doctors and her husband and her best friend. And she was like, I don't think I can do it. I don't think I can do it. And then here she is alone and she's like, I am woman. Hear me roar. I mean, literally. And and she was in the right
1: position for it. One of the benefits of having had a mother who was an OBGYN. Yes. um, Very true. But that and, and and. possibly they had discussed that at the red center that that's the the best position to be Mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. but that is if you got to do it yourself yeah that that's the position to be in lying down with your legs in the air only helps only helps if somebody's going to be there and to To take it out right Right.
0: let gravity assist I think mm-hmm. a lot of things, too, that we take for granted, obviously, modern medicine, being in the hospital or having a doula or a midwife or whatever, you're period. usually best case scenario mm-hmm. is that you are with other people to help you through the process. And so, yeah, there's this very stark contrast, you know. Obviously, mothers out there, get at us, you know, how your feelings about this scene. Because I personally just thought it was really beautiful and mystical and magical. Mm-hmm. And uh, so. in the inside the episode, when the producers are talking and, you know, June is a heroine, but she's not Wonder Woman. You know, mm-hmm. she's no. not a yeah. superhero. Nope. And... It's one of those moments, you know, they always call it, like, a miracle of childbirth. And it's a sort of that moment when, you know, she finally pushes the baby out and the baby comes out. And you're like, God fucking damn. We make humans in our bodies. <laughs> <laughs> and even if there is not a soul alive on the entire earth, she, you can do that yourself.
1: <laughs> do and I think... I- I- I think that was one of the things that got me, just going back for a second to my to my goddaughter, yeah. I think that was one of the things that got me was that there's this whole romanticized thing that until the doctor helps the mom give birth and the mom pushes the baby out, that the baby is this inert floppy thing and mm-hmm. then they take their first breath and now they're there. This kid was in there. Looking around, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I'm like, "Whoa! You're not supposed to be. You're not out yet. You're yeah. not supposed to be you're doing that." Like, what are oh, you you're talking about? I'm a person. I'm. I'm just a person whose shoulders. <laughs> I'm just a person whose shoulders are still in my mother's vagina. Right, Hang on right, a second. Right. The rest of me will be out in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yep. I'm out
0: now. Ready yeah. to party. I mean, not I, to discount modern medicine or anything, because no, no. I mean, obviously we talked about a lot in this season also of high infant mortality, not just infertility, mm-hmm. you know, uh, what is it called? You know, when mothers die in childbirth, I forget the technical term of that. But, you know, modern medicine has obviously assuaged a lot of those risks. You know, pregnancies are still risky. You know, my one of my sisters had gestational diabetes because diabetes mm-hmm. runs in our family and that's an extremely high risk pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So lots of things can still happen. And even with modern medicine, it just, you know, compared to when, you know, women were delivering their own babies themselves in yeah. their, you know, huts or caves or what have you and etc. etc. you know, so not to discount modern medicine and midwifery and, and all those things, <laughs> you know, it's. Um, uh, so yeah. I will
2: say my mom likes to joke because uh, she had all four of us uh, girls, all girls, poor woman. poor dad but (laughs) so my mom likes to joke with all of us that uh god's reason uh god's ability to let us have multiple children is because he makes us forget how bad the childbirth was Mm -hmm. yes
0: i have heard that phrasing before i totally totally yes it's
2: because we forget that we are willing to have more (laughs) actually the other day one of my friends on facebook put up a, a funny little post there was. She ran into some cute pregnant girl who said, I get worn down so quickly. My body is literally growing bones. And then my friend replied to her, what did you expect? Pumpkin juice? <laughs> growing bones is a nasty business. <laughs> <laughs> Aww. Which a cute little Harry Potter reference if you aren't familiar. <laughs> yes. mm-hmm. But that's you know, I mean, She's right. You're growing
0: bones. Yeah. You're growing
2: a human. Of course your body's doing crazy things.
0: There's also a stand-up comedian and com- comedy writer Ali Wong. She's on Netflix. She has two yes. specials oh, out. Yeah. Check her out if uh, you love crass comedy because that's definitely what she is. Oh, but she talks about her two pregnancies and she's pregnant both times that she does her stand-up specials which is hysterical and you know she says i don't gotta do jack shit anymore i am over here growing an eyeball okay what have you done okay nothing so great stuff and and i do love this sort of era we live in where we can really be honest about a lot of things about womanhood i mean obviously Mm -hmm. i can't be honest about pregnancy i've never been through it yet but just that that like rawness and realness and that we're not you know, packaging things up to be so romantic and beautiful. Not that it isn't romantic and beautiful, but it's just it's not all right. And so we get to see women depicted in film and television with like all of the sides, especially, you know, why I love Serena Joy so much is because she's such an awful person, character, whatever have you. Mm -hmm. And we get to see it. Right. And she's not your typical villain. It's so easy to write off a character to be just like, she's a villain. Right, so we get to see a whole person, and Just, which I think this show, personally, I personally feel the this show's show is very does. good at making them human. Exactly mm-hmm. these whole these whole complete people, also testament to the actors, testament to the writers. Some beautiful writing in this episode, really, really, mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, one of our last pieces of the episode, you know, after she um, names the baby Holly, and we also get the scene, the full circle of her mother showing up. You know, Mm -hmm. the baby's already been born, but the mother is present. And so we have this really uplifting, lovely moment. And I wrote down here, you know, all that shit before doesn't mean anything. Meaning Mm -hmm. all like modern pregnancy, you know, there's a lot of logistics, you know, your doctor and what hospital and, you know, how many days you stay and uh, do you bring clothes and all all (laughs) of that stuff. mm And especially this and stuff. this, this tension between her and her mother about where she was going to have the baby if it was going to be natural. And June was like, nope, I want all the drugs, give me the <laughs> epidural. All these things that were in contention with each other and they already have like a, a, a tenuous relationship. And so to have this moment where it's like none of that shit matters, right? It was just like them and the baby and this beauty, this miracle of life. Anyway, we have this... Closing voiceover, you know, she says, I keep on going with this limping and mutilated story because I want you to hear it. As I will hear yours, too, if I ever get the chance. If I meet you or if you escape. In the future or in heaven. By telling you anything at all, I'm believing in you. I believe you into being because I'm telling you this story. I will your existence. I tell, therefore you are. Very Descartes of her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just love that piece where she really brings it around to that that storytelling Mm -hmm. and that this willingness into existence. I mean, a lot of this has been through just sheer will, birthing this child on her own, no drugs, no one around her, just sheer will and force of you and your own body and your soul and your baby. Mm -hmm. That's it. And, you know, we sort of close the episode of there's this car arriving, you know, her, Mm -hmm. her help has arrived, so to speak. Yeah. So uh, in the inside the episode, we also get this little snippet from uh, O.T. Fagbeno, who plays Luke in the Mm -hmm. show, and he says something about hope about how like without hope the show kind of dies because we have very bleak moments in this show yeah Yeah. no short of bleakness but he's very true he says you know hopes keeps the fire burning you know no matter if it's this little candle with this little tiny tiny flame it's still there so i do like that this show has sort of given us a bright spot and i tell that people uh to people often i also every week you know catch up on articles i read You know, most of the articles that come through about The Handmaid's Tale every week. And uh, week after week, there's always one article, at least, that's like, okay, after this episode, I'm going to stop watching. You know, it's too bleak, it's too much, da-da-da-da. But the purpose is, like, to get to these points, I think. Yeah. And this is the type of show that gets us to these points, because it's a brilliant show, in my opinion. There are other shows that don't do that. Mm -hmm. I think I had mentioned The Leftovers one time in an episode where that was... There's really no hope in that show. <laughs> <laughs> it went on for a few seasons, but you're just like, dang. You know, it'd be a little bit masochistic to like really be engaged with that show week after week for for Thrones, three or four seasons. Westworld. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. So it's all relative but mm-hmm. i mean i like yeah. those shows but okay i do i do <laughs> but no like, you're right they are very bleak and they don't they have a whole lot of bleak. hope They <laughs> are yeah. Yeah. It's very. it's like very oh god
2: we are getting more messed up oh and it's getting worse oh and there's a fifth level to this badness okay okay i got you no yeah. i get it i like it but that's because i'm a weirdo that likes the weird inception type uh mm-hmm. shows
0: but i definitely I always, guess how
2: oh, you need hope to keep yeah, going
0: absolutely i always say too that you know if you're starting the series from episode one season one episode one that after episode three it lifts yes so you gotta stick mm-hmm. through it and i hate when people say that to me when i'm watching a new show and they're like stick with it i hate it when but i i I have to say it, you know, after... I mean, I I had to tell my parents that. And
2: I actually am surprised my dad is just as addicted as we are. Like, I'm surprised.
0: (laughs) But yeah, no, it it. it catches people when they don't expect it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. Well, that was... I... One of my favorite episodes so far. (laughs) Maybe I say that every week. I'm not sure. But that's (laughs) my favorite episode. been
2: several. Every single week we have way too much to discuss. So much happened in the
0: episode and it's our new favorite. (laughs) It's our new favorite. All right. Well, we will be back with episode 12 next week. The penultimate episode for season two. Yes. can't believe that we're at the... uh, I can't. (laughs) It's been 11 weeks. It's been a ride. It's been a a trip. It has been a ride. So thank you so much for uh, sticking with us all the way to episode 11. Hope you join us next week for episode 12. And then for finale, episode 13, just a couple weeks left. Check us out on iTunes. Leave us a review. I'll read your reviews here on air. And you can always reach us at at thehandmaidspodcast.gmail.com or at Facebook at The Handmaid's Podcast, and you can also donate to our podcast at coffee.com That's ko-fi.com slash The Handmaid's Podcast. Thanks so much, Kane and Abigail. We will see you guys next week. Bye, guys! Hey, bye! Look at us. Thanks so much for listening to the Handmaids podcast. This is Donna Bali, your host and producer. Thanks again to K. Megan Washington and Abigail Johnson for joining me for week eleven. Our logo is designed by Joko Strakal. Our music is by Stephen Sondheim, and we record in the Look On Media Studios in downtown Baltimore, Maryland.